0: saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We open up our Bibles this next hour during this Easter season where we are able to say Christ is risen, He has risen indeed around the inspired and the true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our resurrected Lord Jesus, who is our light and our salvation. And the light shines on us today as we start a new book. And I'm really excited as we begin 1 Kings and we'll continue on into 2 Kings because they are fascinating books as we see God at work in history. And in that history, we see theology that forms us and makes us, helps us to understand how God works still today. And obviously, we are able to see Christ. You don't want to hear more from, me, for, more from me. We want to hear from our guests this morning. So thank you for tuning us in on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you to our friends uh, at Lutheran Heritage Foundation this morning for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have the honor of having with us Dr. Walter Meyer Third. Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and also the author of the Concordia Commentary on First Kings. Dr. Meyer, welcome to Thy Strong Word.
1: Brady, it's great to be on the program. I'm looking forward to studying Kings with you and with the audience.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Happy Easter to you and your family.
1: Blessed Easter to you too. We continue to live in the glow of Christ's resurrection, the victory of Christ's resurrection, and it continues with us throughout the year.
0: As we, uh, well, first of all, it's an honor to have you with us, uh, as, as you have obviously studied First uh, and Second Kings quite a bit in your work, um, and this is our first time together uh, on, on Thy Strong Word, and I was wondering if you could introduce yourself for our guests and also tell us a little bit about your work at Concordia Theological Seminary.
1: I'd be glad to do that. Well, I, I always give my name as Walter Meyer Third because my grandfather and my father were well-known in the Synod, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and so the people know which one they're getting, which Walter Meyer they're getting. But I am, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, I'm a professor at Concordia Theological Seminary here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I specialize in teaching Hebrew and the Old Testament. And I teach uh, the core courses here at the seminary uh, as we educate men who will be pastors and also women who will be deaconesses Mm. and core courses in the Old Testament that would be especially then Pentateuch and then Psalms and then also the major prophets. And I teach a number of electives as well. Mm. I'm also uh, in the PhD program in missiology, which we have here at the seminary. And I teach a course for that program entitled Old Testament Paradigms for Mission, bringing out the missionary theme of the Old Testament.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, besides uh, being a professor here at the seminary, I have other responsibilities and privileges. I teach Bible class every Sunday at a local congregation, Hmm. and I'm privileged to be one of the uh, six regular pastors on a TV program called Worship Anew, and so it presents a regular Sunday morning worship service in condensed form in half-hour format. And then I'm also engaged in writing projects, and the main one right now is writing the commentary on Second Kings for the Concordia mm. commentary series. Um, so those are some areas of, again, responsibility, but also privilege.
0: Now, two questions as you mentioned this. First of all, with Second Kings, are you going to do that all in one book, or are you going to split it up like you did with First Kings?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. And, <laughs> Brady, I would say God knows, uh, but <laughs> I certainly do not know. Um, and it just depends on on, on how it develops. Um, mm-hmm. And as I do a study of the text, and then, you know, how much material there is. And so... Um, Cannot say right now. I'm at the beginning of Second Kings, and therefore you know how much will actually you know be produced. You know we'll have to wait and see what happens there, because you know writing a commentary is is kind of a thorough project. It's it's not the same thing as writing simply a Bible class because you have to go into various uh, technical areas and and trace down some side subjects as well, and so each. Each pericope, each passage is a new adventure, and how it eventually turns out, you know, that, that can be a, a bit of a surprise. So again, to, to answer your question, sorry I can't say.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, this is a, uh, an endorsement, is, you know, I'm digging into your commentary as we begin First Kings. And and what I we've had a number of guests who who are written commentaries, Dr. Winger and, and Dr. Paul Dieterding and, uh, and who had Dr. Seleska on um, recently as well. And, and, and there's others. I apologize if I forgot you. But, but one of the, the beauties of each one is the talents and gifts that God has given you to share in this way. And one of the things I really appreciate about yours is it's very readable. I'm, I'm a very simple guy. And, and so that's why I would endorse to our listeners that if you are very interested in first, first Kings and, and hopefully someday the second Kings, um, that definitely look at this as a possible purchase because it's very readable. Um, you do a wonderful job of, of pointing us to the history, um, making it practical and obviously pointing us to Christ. So that's a little endorsement. So thank you for that gift you've given to the church.
1: Well, I thank you, Brady, for your very kind words.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so uh, so you've done a lot of research on this, and uh, and with everything, we need to begin our time in prayer. Can you begin us in prayer?
1: Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your Word together and the truths contained therein. We ask that you would bless our study, especially of this portion of your Word, 1 Kings, and help us to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of this book and in spiritual wisdom. And through this study, encourage us in our faith, faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, and also give us the strength, then, to live as your people in today's world, giving a witness with our lives and with our words. So, Father, bless our study to your glory and our good, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions this morning from 1 Kings, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org, as we dig into God's Word. Now, Dr. Meyer, you have done extensive research on 1 Kings, like we've already mentioned, and I think how I want to begin is to read verse 1, and I think that sets us up very well for, for you to give a lot of insights to uh, the background, the main themes of First Kings, uh, because it begins in a unique way. Uh, you mentioned this in your commentary as well. So I'll just read verse 1 and, and let you run from there. So verse 1. Reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. Verse 1. Now King David was old, and advanced in years and although they covered him with clothes he could not get warm now you mentioned in your commentary dr. Meyer that it begins uniquely almost as if you should know the background when you start reading this can you give us some of the introductory thoughts of what is the background as we go to first Kings?
1: well basically the background would be first and second Samuel because in those books David is presented to us uh, as a young man and then as one who grows up and then eventually becomes king over Israel. So we have there a, a thorough history concerning David. And again, from his youth. And then his being a shepherd, his defeat of Goliath his being taken into the service of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Mm -hmm. And then his becoming a fugitive when Saul wants to kill him. And so his fugitive years. And then how the Lord worked things out that David did become king, first over his own tribe of Judah and his base of operation at Hebron, and then later on, the other tribes of Israel also recognized him as king and anointed him. And so he became king over all of Israel. And he had his new capital then in Jerusalem, the city he took with his own troops and became his own city. And so the reign of David is given to us in 2 Kings. And both the positive aspects, the good aspects, the glorious aspects of his reign, but also the negative aspects, and also the, the violence and murder that was part of his family life. And so that history comes to us uh, through 2 Samuel. So when the author now of Kings picks up, he simply starts off, as you just read, uh, Brady, by saying, now David was old. And so he's assuming the author of Kings is assuming that the readers are familiar with the story of David uh, from first, especially from First and Second Samuel, and that okay, uh, now since the end of Second Samuel, some years have passed, and by this time, by the opening of First Kings, now David is old. Uh, he is in fact about sixty-nine or 68 or 69 years old. He will die at the age of 70. But he'll have uh, some a few years yet, one or two, uh, in which then he will have Solomon, his son, as his co-regent. But, um, again, his main history comes to us from First uh, and Second Samuel. And also, having said that, uh, we also have some information with regard to Solomon then. And that comes to us in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and, Sol- and God being delighted with Solomon when he is born. And that, too, then, is background for what will be happening in First Kings chapter 1 and 2. But again, uh, the author is assuming that David is known to the readers, and now when they encounter him in this history, First Kings, uh, by this time he's an old man.
0: Now, when we look at the whole book of First Kings, or maybe I guess maybe even including Second Kings, how long? One of the one of the struggles I know for for simple minded people like myself is that you'll read certain parts of the Bible, and and if you don't know the context of the number of years or what came before this or came after this, and this is why I love how you brought up First Second Samuel because if you read you know galatians and ephesians and you cuz we just got done with all the epistles that it doesn't follow in a logical order in the new testament but in the old testament we have that example here first second samuel first second kings really run together and in the chronicles too as far as how they all are interconnected and here it's so clear to look at that what what is the time range of first and second kings Time range would be uh from the end of David's life and
1: I'm just going to give a rounded figure, a rounded figure okay. for the sake of ease, and that would be about uh, 970, 970 BC, and then it would go to the through the end of Second Kings to the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians in 587 hmm. BC. So this is covering, you know, doing the math, this is covering over 380 years of the history of Israel. And in fact, it goes slightly beyond 587 because there's a final notice at the end of 2 Kings about King Jehoiachin, who was an exile in Babylon, and what happened to him. And the year that this occurred was in 561 BC. So there is that note at the end which actually takes the reader to 561, but the main history of Kings. Uh, is from nine seventy to five eighty seven. You know, rounded figures.
0: And that the amazing thing about that is, you think about let's say American history. Let's just let's just go very basic. Seventeen seventy six. You know, and and you go back from two thousand twenty one. Go three hundred eighty years back. You're you're around sixteen forty. <laughs> And so when, when you, you don't even think about how long of a time period this really is. We kind of read it and plow through it. And we don't think about that length of time. But this is a substantial amount of time. There's a lot of things that can happen. Um, there's a lot of sin that can happen and a lot of grace that needs to be given. Um, any reflections as you've worked on this with just how long of a time period is, and how we can lose sight of that? And I don't know, any reflections on that?
1: Well, it is, it is a very long time period, and we see then major changes um, happening in the history of Israel. So when Kings opens up, Israel is the leading power in the ancient Near East. There is the Davidic Empire, which stretches, uh, and his range of influence stretched from the Euphrates River in the north to a point south of Philistia and into the desert region south of Judah, and so this was, you know, an empire of, of fairly large extent, and then in the east, from the syro Arabian Desert to the Mediterranean Sea, on the west. Mm-hmm. And so Israel, without question, the leading power in the ancient Near East. But then, in the course of time, in the course of all these years, we see then um, a, a bit of a change with Solomon, who inherited the empire, but then it begins to break away somewhat toward the end of his reign. Uh, parts of the empire break away. And then right after Solomon's death, then Israel itself splitting up uh, into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then with that, uh, the empire being lost, and then these two kingdoms at times you know, being pressured by outside enemies. And that uh, continues on for a while. Until finally then, because of sinfulness, both kingdoms come to an end. And so the northern kingdom coming to an end officially with the fall of the capital city, Samaria, to the Assyrians in 723. And then again, uh, the southern kingdom coming to an end with the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians in 587. So we see you know, these major Changes taking place in the history of Israel, and as well looking at the broader picture, the ancient Eurasian background, we have different major players coming into the scene, you know, and in their interaction with, with Israel. But something else, then, and this has already been implied, uh, with regard to the history of Israel in this long period, uh, we see basically a decline in Israel from the spiritual standpoint. Uh, With the time of David, he was a, a man zealous for the Lord, zealous for the proper worship of the Lord. And Israel was, you know, faithful to God. This continued into the first part of Solomon's reign. And you might say that the high point of the history of Israel came with the building of the temple in Jerusalem and then its inauguration or dedication, Mm -hmm. And uh, Solomon's beautiful prayer, full of theology, and Israel then, a nation devoted to the Lord and worshiping Him and carrying on faithful living. But then after that, then we have this decline in the history of Israel from the spiritual standpoint, and because of this, then eventually, both then kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, came to an end.
0: That is wonderful history. And I encourage our listeners to, uh, continue to dig into this history. We think as Americans often, we think of like, okay, everything kind of changed in 1950. You know, we, we forget about a lot of things. I would say I'm a 41-year-old person. And so when you look at American history, you kind of like, okay, 1812, all that. Da, 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 let's get to the good stuff, 1950 on or whatever it might be. And and so this is very helpful, Dr. Meyer, uh, to, to lay out not only um, the breadth of time and pretty much the, the, the beginning and the demise of Israel and the split and the captivity and so forth. But there's no bones about it. This is not presented as saying, "Wow, the kings were so great, and they were appointed by God, therefore everything just went wonderful and What does this remind us as you look through all this history of israel what What do you think on that
1: well we're reminded of the fact that the foremost thing for any human being is you know a spiritual relationship with the Lord, uh, a true faith relationship, you know a saving relationship with God, and of course, this is because of god's grace and mercy and love, and it's because of the Messiah who would come from Israel. Mm. So that is one major theological truth coming out. Um, Be faithful to the Lord, hold to his word. Mm. Um, And fortunately then, as we see in this history, uh, Israel uh, failed in this, and that's the history that we have in Kings. But something else that we see here, too, despite man's sinfulness and man's failings, God is always faithful. God never fails. And his word will be fulfilled. Underlying the whole history of kings, indeed the whole history of Israel in the Old Testament, is the Messianic promise that God from this nation would bring forth the Savior of the world, the Savior promised already in Genesis and God will fulfill that promise despite the sinfulness and the failings of Israel.
0: And, and, and you know, you're exactly right. Not, no, you, of course you're right. I'm just saying it's just wonderful to hear how you connect those dots. Because if we don't see Jesus in the midst of these stories, these true stories that happen in history, it, it can be kind of a, a huge Debbie Downer, as I like to say, a huge, like, What is going on? And if there's not a promise that comes from these people and the faith of the Lord, like you said so well, um, this can be a real downer uh, couple of books without Christ. Any reflections on that before we dig into our text more?
1: Yes. In Kings, there is a, a, a great Christology. And some people then are surprised to hear that because, well, is there a direct messianic prophecy in Kings as we have, for example, in uh, the book Isaiah. And you know, so much of Isaiah you know, has these, you know, these wonderful messianic prophecies. Uh, the virgin will be with child, pregnant, giving birth to a son, will call his name Emmanuel, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Michael, and so forth, you know, these wonderful prophecies. Well, we don't have those in Kings, but nevertheless, in Kings, there is a tremendous Christology. Now, how can I say that? Well, first of all, you know, as we've been discussing, Brady, this is a history of Israel. So why mm-hmm. this focus on Israel out of all the nations of the ancient Near East? You know, we're not dealing with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Moabites, and so forth. Why Israel? Well, again, it's because God had promised that from this nation would come the Savior. This goes back to the patriarchs, Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they're the patriarchs and their family, their descendants now, the covenant nation, uh, got in a special relationship with the descendants of these patriarchs, known as the Israelites. And again, this covenant relationship based on God's grace and then the promise of the coming Savior. So it's a history of Israel, and that in itself you know, is an implied Christology. But then we can also bring out the idea of types. And what are types? Uh, divinely ordained foreshadowings in the Old Testament era of New Testament realities. And so in Kings, we have foreshadowings of the work of Christ. And how so? Well, first of all, there is the office of king. And mm-hmm. that office of king was a type foreshadowing Jesus Christ in his office as king. Now, along with the kings, who are so much emphasized in kings, uh, the prophets operated. So we have much about prophets throughout First and Second Kings. Right. Now, the office of prophet also was a type foreshadowing Jesus Christ in his office as prophet. No, declaring the word of God. And then also in the history of kings, there is uh, some material, some, uh, concerning the priesthood. Uh, the priesthood and... That office of priest in ancient Israel was a type. It was foreshadowing uh, Jesus Christ as priest. Now, Jesus then is our prophet and priest and king. Uh, The temple, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, that was a symbol, a Christological symbol, a symbol of Christ, because the temple symbolized God dwelling with his people. Uh, before the temple, there was the tabernacle, which had the same significance. And so that symbolism, God dwelling with his people, pointed ahead to Christ when God incarnate would actually be dwelling with his people. And we think of John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we have that, uh, the whole matter of the sacrifices, uh, that, those were typical sacrifices Pointing ahead to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God by the High Priest Jesus Christ, mm. and then also there's something you can be you, know, you can call it like a practical Christology. And when we see the godly lives of the believers who are mentioned in Kings, then we think of their being able to live such lives, you know, in spiritual union with the the pre-incarnate Christ, or the pre-incarnate Son, who gave them the strength to to live the faith. So, you know, in different ways, we can talk about a Christology of kings.
0: That uh, I, I'm writing down a lot of these uh, these notes that you have. Uh, you've always heard of the threefold office of Jesus. I don't think I've ever connected that to first kings. Um, probably didn't listen during Old Testament class or in seminary well enough, but here we are: <laughs> Kings and Prophet <laughs> and Priest, and to point all of that, it is such a—it's it, like a, I, I compare it to "Where's Waldo" type of situation. It's much better than "Where's Waldo," obviously. But you're you're looking through the Scriptures, and to t- you see Jesus on every page, and it's it's just wonderful how you lay this out. And a reminder to our listeners. Um, this is so wonderful as we look at all these uh these parts of first and second kings for us to keep in mind as I guess you say the filter for us to interpret and to look at first kings because it can get a little bit like, okay, this king took over and he failed and uh, here's another one and da da da. But to be able to keep these in line exactly what Dr. Meyer has pointed us to so that it, it unfolds the riches of what our Lord has given to us. So here's what I want to do, Dr. Meyer. We have about a minute left before our first for, before our break. I want to read verses two through four, and then we'll talk about that beyond our break. Because I want to get into these verses as we hear more of King David. So verses 2 through 4, reminder that that uh, King David's old, uh, he's cold, and he can never get warm. And that's our context as we go through 2 through 4. Therefore, his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in her in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. As we look at this text today, we'll be talking more about this on the other side of our break. We are studying First Kings with Dr. Walter Meyer, and we'll be right back. April 17th marks the 500th anniversary of the Diet of Worms. Friday, on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Dr. John Maxfield about the meetings that branded Martin Luther a heretic. We'll also discuss the present and future challenges to Lutheranism with Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Issues Etc.,
1: live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO.
0: If you know the program Sing for Joy, you know that it sometimes quiets you to listen. Other times,
1: it makes you want to sing along. This week, it might make you want to whistle. Another program of Easter music still good for the soul. I hope you'll join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news.
0: I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Oratio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for You, Anytime, Anywhere. Welcome back. We are studying First Kings with Dr. Walter Meyer. And as we look at our our text so far, uh, we have gotten all the background. We're seeing the total history and we're seeing Jesus even better. And as we look at this, these first four verses, it sets the the background for what's going to happen next. We know he is old. There's other issues. What is happening in these first uh, four verses, Dr. Meyer?
1: Well, David, because of his declining health, um, is in need of um, special treatment. Apparently, there was a circulatory problem. And so, uh, with blood not getting around sufficiently, in you know, the various parts of his body, then uh, he was cold. He was cold. And even though they covered him with garments, he was never warm. And so then his servants thought of this special treatment, you know, find a young woman who would, you know, lie in his arms and, so to speak, be a human bed warmer um, to keep David warm. And that was the necessary measure, which they took, and then this this helped David and gave him some warmth. But this kind of treatment also means that David had to retire to his uh, private chamber. Uh, he was basically confined to his bedroom and no longer there in you know, public life. And um, this prompted some to think, including you know, his son Adonijah, that David, in essence, had become now a non-factor. You know, he's this old man and declining, and he's no longer even in public sight. He's just in his bedroom then, and they were inclined to think that David's end was near. Uh, and so they began to think of him as, you know, uh, nothing, nothing really um, by way of a power, a power anymore. But while David's body was frail and it was failing, his mind was not. We're going to see this as we go on in the first chapter. And he was far from being senile. And so from that standpoint, there was still a lot of life left in this old king, and we'll see that as we go on. But see, uh, this first portion of the first chapter gives us this kind of background and helps us to understand uh, then some of these next actions on the part of Adonijah and then what happens after that.
0: Well, and it, it's interesting, I just want to be very quick with this, is it emphasizes that the king knew her not, so there was not a sexual relationship here. Any, any thoughts on why that needed to be highlighted?
1: Well, I would think that um, given David's history, um, <laughs> this was something that, uh, that the author felt was necessary to report. Um, and you know what I mean by David's history. Uh, first of all, uh, in his younger years, uh, you know, he was the husband of many wives, so he had a harem. And by these many wives, he had many children. Uh, and then second, of course, uh, even you know, having many wives in his harem, that wasn't enough. Uh, he had to take another man's wife, a man by the name of Uriah, and the wife's name was Bathsheba. Is that David was guilty of adultery, and that led to David also being guilty of murder, and so there is that past history with David. And so the author said, "Well, this is an appropriate thing to to mention." Um, well, given his failing health and his problem, his physical ailment, um, the reader might have uh, guessed at this—that uh, you know he's not going to have sexual relations with this young woman who's very beautiful. But the author is making it very clear to us. And so this was a very chaste situation. Uh, nothing wrong with it. This was a medical necessity and this was the the best medical treatment.
0: That's it's it's a good rundown. Thank you. Thank you for that. And as we go to our next few verses as you said, it was almost appearing that he was quote out of it. I think you say that in your commentary that well, I mean, he's he's kind of out of it. So it opens up what they thought was an opportunity to fill in this question: who will become king? So I definitely want to get your input on why was that a big deal and what was the background of knowing who would be the next king? As we read verses five through ten, um, the rest of uh, the the rest of these verses five through ten. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also very handsome man and was born at born, excuse me, was born next after Absalom. He conferred to Joab, the son of Zariah, and from Abiathar the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei and Rei and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is besides Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, and he did not invite Nathan, the prophet of Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. So Adonijah sees an opportunity, and what does he do?
1: Well, he, he wants to become king, and so that's, you know, that's a great temptation, a temptation to power. And we see that in, in human history throughout. And to, to take the throne and to be king. And so Adonijah, thinking that David is now withdrawn and he's out of it and no longer a factor, wants to make his move. He's doing this without his father's approval, and he's thinking, well, if, you know, if I take on the trappings of, of, of kingship and I have these you know, men uh, running before me um, you know, in, the, in the chariot, uh, I'll be riding the chariot and 50 men running before me, And then I, you know, have the support of certain important people. You know, I'm just going to slip onto the throne, and I'll be there, and once on the throne, you know, they're not going to dislodge me, and Mm -hmm. some people will be taken by surprise, but I'll be too fast for them, and I'll have the power, and any potential troublemakers then I will take care of. So that was his thinking, and... He perhaps, um, apparently, was now the oldest living son of David. And so he might have been thinking, well, I'm the oldest living son, and therefore the the throne should come to me. Hmm. But he was absolutely wrong, absolutely wrong in wanting to take the throne. Because God had made it clear earlier on, some years before, that Solomon... Succeed David Solomon, the son of David and Bathsheba, and so Adonijah, in essence, is going against the word of the Lord, and it's very interesting. You know, you just read this, Brady, and those he invited to his feast, uh, okay, his supporters, and no doubt he made some deals with them, to, you know, to get their support, but. Notice the ones not invited, Nathan the mm-hmm. prophet, the true prophet of God, and Benaiah, who was a military man, and the mighty man, and Solomon his brother, he did not invite, and that is most telling. See, he knows about Solomon and what God had said to David uh, concerning succession, but he Adonijah wants the throne so much he just he's going to go against the word of the Lord. He thinks he can outsmart the Lord now and everybody else by simply um, taking the throne, you know, by sort of bluffing his way into it, having certain support, and then it'll be it'll be his. But um, he's he's in error. Now, just a side comment, Brady, and then I'll then I'll stop. Um, we can also find, however, some fault with David in this. Uh, First of all, David did not do a good job of raising Adonijah. He let his son have his way. Basically, Adonijah was spoiled. Uh, We saw that in verse Mm 6. Second, David should have been more decisive on this matter of succession sooner and just made it very clear, No, Solomon is to be my successor, and he will be the next king. Uh, David failed to act properly in this regard and so Adonijah is making
0: his move so he's so Adonijah in, in one sense this makes sense he's the oldest um, dad's never said I can't do these things so I'm just going to go do it I mean <laughs> it's kind of you know no discipline that was well that's kind of what's implied here and at the, but at the same time Now, if he would have invited Solomon and Nathan and Beniah to the party, you know, to okay, you guys all come, I'm king, let's do this. Maybe you would think he was just naive. But since he doesn't invite them, clearly he knew that there was, that succession was not, well, he wasn't quite sure. And he didn't go to David first and say, by the way, dad, I think I'm king, what do you think? He didn't do any of those things. So clearly there must have been some recognition of, Dad would not approve if I did this. I'm just going to go do it, and hopefully the the forces will be with me, and I can just go ahead and do this. Is that a good summary of what you just said? Yeah, it's a very good summary. It's very yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just and it, it it just reminds me so much of of this is how how we are, you know, as human beings is that like well. This probably isn't quite right. So I'm going to go and and seek forgiveness as opposed to approval. You know, that kind of language that we'll use in today's world. Um, You see how there's family dynamics. Uh, David should have written his will much sooner than he did. You know, he should have laid this out as we all should. And so I sympathize with it. I understand it. At the same time, we realize the problem was they were not willing to look at the word of God and to trust in what God has to say. That's, I mean, it, it, it very clear in there. Any last thoughts yeah. on those verses?
1: No, that, that's the bottom line. And, yeah. you know, we, as you pointed out, Brady, we can see it today. Sometimes there's something in the Word of God, and it doesn't, some people don't like it. Uh, I don't like that <laughs> in the Word of God. And so they're going to just try and work their way around it. And they're going to have their way and, you know, ignore God's way. So that's, you know, a continuing problem. And so nothing actually strange or surprising to us with what we know of human nature.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and this is one last reflection as we move on, is that understanding of I don't like what God God's Word has to say. So maybe if I get enough votes, enough people yeah. beside me, then we can just say, No, that's not what that is. It actually means this. Which you know what? Lord have mercy on all of us. I think we all um have those moments in our lives. So um let's move on to verses eleven. Through fourteen, and I didn't really know where to stop on these, but I, you know, there definitely is a paragraph, and I just wanted us to reflect as we continue to move forward. Eleven through fourteen. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, "Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now, therefore, come, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon." Going at once to King David and say to him, did you not, did you not, my lord, the king, swear to your servant saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. Then, and why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So what's Nathan's plan or what's, what's Nathan doing? I should say
1: Nathan is, is putting forth a very careful plan, and it, it, it will prove to be most effective. But uh, first of all, Nathan is alarmed at uh, mm. what has taken place. That Adonijah was riding around in a chariot. He might you know, just put that off, you know, a presumptuous young man you know, riding in a chariot with these 50 running ahead of him. But now when this feast takes place, and, you know, Adonijah is proclaimed as, as king and so forth. Then that is most serious. And Nathan, as the prophet of the Lord, was aware of what was happening. He got around. He got around town and outside of town in Jerusalem. And so he recognizes that swift action is of utmost necessity. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to enlist the help of Bathsheba, who was the mother of of Solomon, and uh, also David loved Bathsheba, and uh, perhaps she was his, his chief wife, and so having her approach David would have one effect on the king, but then Nathan is, is planning this, that right after she speaks, I'm going to come in and approach him as you know, the prophet of God, the true prophet of God, and remind him of, uh, of the word of God. And that then, in essence, would you know, be a double impact on the king, coming from Bathsheba and then coming from Nathan. And the plan was uh, to have David now act decisively and have Solomon placed as king, you know, anointed and then placed on the throne and put to an end, a clear end, this attempt of Adonijah. And so this was necessary because of uh, the Word of God, and, and Nathan, then, zealous for the Word of God and what God had declared once that to be fulfilled, and he, he recognizes that God, for the accomplishment of his will, uses uh, human means, uh, human tools, and so he sees himself as such a tool, and also Bathsheba and then uh, second, that Nathan knows that this is of utmost importance. Uh, with regard to the life of Solomon himself, who's supposed to be the next king. Mm. Because if Adonijah actually then took the throne and had the power, there's no question that he would have Solomon eliminated. And along with Solomon, Bathsheba, who would be a reminder, continual reminder, of that earlier history and what God had said concerning Solomon, the son of Bathsheba. So Nathan then has this very... um, wise plan
0: and it's it's helpful too. you know a little no little background of nathan and david and their relationship i mean he was not a he was not a a a guy that yeah he's you know he's the prophet he's he's the guy here but you know i kind of ignore him because he's the guy that with Bathsheba that he proclaimed law And, you know, gave forgiveness from the Lord. And so you can tell there was a good relationship with David and Nathan as they went into this, which not only would his position had one thing, but it's like if you're a pastor at a church for many years and you sit with someone near the end of their life, they're probably going to listen to you a little more power a little more, um, uh, more so if you've had those big moments of pointing someone back to the Lord. Any reflections on that?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Nathan had a long history with David, and Nathan, of course, was a true prophet of God, and he was God's spokesman. So God would give His word to Nathan, and then Nathan would declare it. And so David had the utmost respect for Nathan. Wonderful. But I I, I imagine in my own heart that you know these two men also had a close relationship. So yeah, is prophet and king, but. You know they had agape love for one another, you know, as you know, brothers in the faith. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see, uh, Brady, as we go on in this chapter, you know, that Nathan now, because of this long-standing friendship and relationship, he can speak to David in certain ways that uh, another person would not dare to do. So we're going to see right. that as we come to later verses.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to read the rest. We have about 10 minutes left. Um, I want to read the rest until verse 27, and then to get some main highlights that you have as, you, as we hear these words this morning. Uh, 15 through 17. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, at behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my Lord, the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon your servant, he is not invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord and king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass, when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king, and with his face to the ground, and Nathan said, "My Lord, the king, have you said, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? for he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest, and behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and saying, 'Long live King Adonijah, but me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada." and your servant Solomon he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord uh, my lord, the king after him? So they definitely lay it out for him. Tell us tell us your thoughts or the main points of this, these, this portion.
1: Well, first of all, uh, the reader might find it strange that Bathsheba comes in and she bows down and prostrates herself before the king. You know, after right. all, they are husband and wife. Right. But this is due in part to the ancient Near Eastern context, and that was you know, proper action for anyone coming into the presence of the king. Hmm. Um, second, um, she's going to be asking the king, you know, for action you know, that would benefit her and her son Solomon. And another thought is this that there might have been, you know, a sizable age difference as well between David and Bathsheba. But then she presents her, her thoughts to the king, and we can be sure that this had an emotional impact on David. And especially this last portion of her speech, when she says that, well, I and my son Solomon will be accounted as offenders or criminals, and that means that they would be executed. So that certainly would have an impact on David. And as the text says, uh, she was still speaking, and then Nathan comes. So this is nice timing on the part of Nathan, but all part of his, his wise plan. Now, Nathan, again, has a little different approach to the king. And we can see two things here. First of all, she, too... Uh, bows before the king, he prostrates himself. And that's sincere honor that Nathan is showing to David as the Lord's anointed and also as the ancestor of the Messiah. So that's one part of Nathan's approach. But now the other part is, is this, and I find this very interesting. I believe that he is now talking to the king in a very sarcastic way, very sarcastic, okay, yeah, with, with biting irony. <laughs> And he's, in essence, saying, well, you, you must have said, David, that Adonijah will be king after me and he will sit on my throne because of what he's been doing today. You must have said that, David. All right. Huh. That's news <laughs> to me. And so if, uh, you know, this, uh, you didn't even let me know about this. Well, thanks a lot, David. You didn't tell me that you had said this. Now, Nathan knows all along that David has not said this. He has not given Adonijah permission. But this is a very effective approach. This is what I meant when I said earlier, Brady, that Nathan now, because of his long-standing relationship with David, is going to approach him and speak to him in a way that no one else would dare to. But Nathan can get away with it.
0: Right. Oh, that is so good. And it it, it totally is. When you have a good friendship with somebody – you can pull out the sarcasm with that individual. But if it's someone you just met, oh, it's horrible if you try to do sarcasm because it just doesn't, it does not connect or you try to do it via text or any of those moments, it does not work. And I love that perspective Um, and encourage our listeners to read through this and read it again and and, and, and listen for Nathan, the sarcastic one, you know, the sarcastic prophet. Maybe we should rename him a little bit. Um, But he's definitely, they're laying it out here and they're saying, um, in many ways, okay, you're king, and this might be your last action. Are you gonna step to the plate or not? Is that kind of what they're doing too?
1: Yes. It's time for you to act, David, before it's too late. Uh before Adonijah actually seizes you know, the reins of power and or you know, you, David, you know, pass on. You have gotta act now, David. It's quick. It has to be quick. It's an emergency.
0: Yeah, time is of the essence, and I think it, it lays out this way that uh, Adonijah is going to get more, He's now he's going to consider himself to be the incumbent right, that that yeah. the more people assume this, the harder the it's going to be able to get him off the throne is that kind of some of the urgency? That's it exactly Okay, okay, now we have about three minutes left now we stop at kind of an awkward moment because on Monday we're going to have uh, another guest talk about uh, the, the question of who's going to be king does get answered and how Adonijah, uh, Adonijah is, is, is how he responds is going to be answered as well. But as we look at the whole first chapter, uh you have any last reflections on how this text relates to us today and obviously points us back to the Lord as we have about a minute, minute and a half here?
1: Well, as, as the chapter unfolds, we see David indeed taking decisive action. So the approach of Bathsheba and Nathan had the desired impact on the king. And he shows himself to be a man of action, that he is still mentally sharp Hmm. and that he will now act in accordance with the will of the Lord. And so David takes tremendous measures now, and he commands these to be carried out. So he gives the guidelines, and they will be carried out. And the result will be that Solomon will be firmly on the throne. He'll be a, be acclaimed by the majority of the people and there will be no question that he is on the throne as co-regent with David and he will be the successor of David when David then finally dies. Uh, so David now does take proper action and he s- shows himself to be this true leader uh, and the king you know, after God's heart and uh, solomon again will be on the throne you'll see how quickly how quickly the support for adonijah dissolves it evaporates it's gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of david's decisive action and now adonijah you know sudden change for him and now he's in essence pleading for his life before before solomon so I would say this, you know, how does this, you know, um, speak to us today? God's will will be accomplished. And he uses uh, very often human beings for the accomplishment of his will. But God wanted Solomon to be on the throne and nothing will stop God's plan. And so that was indeed the result uh, with the human tools God used, especially then Bathsheba and Nathan. And so God has this plan. And everything in his plan will be accomplished. And that's a word of comfort for us, everything in God's plan. And we know that in all things, God is always working for the good of those who love him. And so all of his promises to us in his word will be fulfilled.
0: Dr. Walter Meyer, Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, starting us off on the right foot with First Kings. Dr. Meyer, it's been an honor. Uh, Thank you for being our guest.
1: Well, Brady, I certainly enjoyed it. It was a privilege to be on this program, and may the Lord continue to bless you and your work in Scripture.
0: Saints of our Lord, Dr. Meyer said it best that everything is in God's plan. And we know that he works for the good of those who love him. And obviously that goes right back to the cross, our prophet, priest and king. And and I am so excited for the rest of our time in First Kings. Dr. Meyer started us off on a wonderful way as we dig back into Holy Scripture. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of His hands.